Acts chapter 3, everybody, this morning. This is one day when Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. It says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple at the gate called Beautiful, uh, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Lord God, we come before you today. And each of us is like this person, lame from birth. Something that uh, is just a part of us. And Lord, we are in such great need of your mercy upon our lives. We're in such great need of your healing. And Lord, obviously that starts in our hearts. And so I pray that today your word would go forward, that anything that is not of you would be uh, cleansed, Lord, that whatever is of you would remain in the hearts of your people. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Chapters 1 and 2 of Acts, they give us an introduction on the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the believers, and then the subsequent multiplication of believers as Peter was empowered to preach the gospel. And so this group of people were gathered in the upper room, and Jesus had told them to go wait in Jerusalem until they received power. They received that power, and when they received that power, they began to speak in different tongues. And people were just amazed at what was going on because they were declaring and everybody's hearing the praises of God in their own language. And Peter begins to go and he he goes, hey, and everybody goes, what in the world's going on? They must be drunk. There was a whole bunch of, there were mockers and seekers. And Peter goes to the word. He just takes them right to the word and says, this was that which was written. He didn't give him his opinion. He didn't go to do all that stuff. He said, this is what's going on, folks. And he started talking in the book of Joel. And he said, Man, this is, this is what God promised for us. That anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so the Holy Spirit was poured out. They were empowered to be witnesses. And they became witnesses. And after Peter preached, he, he, he didn't give them a fluffy gospel. He told them straight out that if they rejected the Messiah, basically he was on the throne and get, was getting ready to put his enemies under his footstool one day soon. If they did not repent and turn to the Lord, they were doomed. But that God was also on the throne, ready to give mercy to anyone who would call out to be saved. Praise God. Amen? And they did. And 3,000 people, those who did receive the Lord, 3,000 were added to the church that day. Praise the Lord, huh? I love that. In Acts 2, chapter 42 through 47, explains now what happened with these people as they were changed as they received God's grace. They were born again. They're new people. What does that look like? In Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. They are in the word, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And last week, we went into depth on each one of those. And that's kind of the, the crux of our Acts Wednesday night 2.42 fellowship, that it's not just Wednesdays. I mean, it's not just Sunday mornings. It's Wednesdays and all throughout the week that we're meeting in homes in the temple, so to speak. And we're in His Word, we're in, you know, the Word of God, the Apostles' Doctrine, we're in fellowship, and that word fellowship is koinonia, and it has the idea of giving to someone who is lacking. We're all lacking something, aren't we? And we're put in a body for a reason, and, I, and they were, it shows in those verses, 43 from 47, which I'll talk about just briefly, that there was a lack in someone's life, and people who saw it and had the ability to fill it as, as a response of God's grace, their love, that was in their lives, they couldn't help but go and meet that need that they saw. And they did, and they sold stuff and, and whatever they needed to do to take care of one another. 
the love of God practically demonstrated his resources working through us at the body. And I proposed last week that that is exactly how the gifts of the Spirit were to work in the New Testament church, that each of you have been gifted by God for the edification of someone else in the body in a way that they are not able to do themselves. And so that is the purpose and the heart through which the gifts of the Spirit are to be given in the church. You, you have the ability to teach, and you see this lacking this in someone else's life. You teach to give. Well, I'm lacking in a whole bunch of other areas. And I know many of you can go, yes, you are. That's why you're here, <laughs> to, be, to bless me and edify me and lift me up so that I might bless you and edify. And this is all to bring glory and honor to God. And so when someone would speak in tongues in, in, in church and there was no edification, Paul came down on like a, tongue of, tongue, a ton of bricks, like a tongue of bricks. <laughs> what did he say to him? He said, hey, you be quiet. Or let there just be two or three. And if there are going to be people talking in tongues, you better have interpretation because that is love, that they be edified. Does that make sense? And so whatever we do, it must be done in that spirit. And that's the idea of fellowship. It's that koinonia, is that longing to be together to give and to receive from the Lord that grace which he's given others. Second Peter talks about that. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. Well, first they were, they were in fellowship, and then they broke bread together. This is communion, and we're eating, or perhaps it's the Lord's Supper. They were eating food together, and they were celebrating communion. And lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. And we see in verses 43 through 47, Acts 2, brief examples of how each of these lived out. And specifically, verse 46, regarding prayer, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes, and ate together gladness and sincerity of hearts. And that's where we find Peter and John at the beginning of Acts 3. They're on their way to go pray in the temple, just like it said. And it's interesting, just, just a little side note, that Peter and John uh, were mentioned how many times you think in the books of, book of Acts together? Take a guess. Come on, you guys know the number. Seven, seven times, great. It's either seven or Jesus, folks, come on. So we see God working through the devotion of Peter and John, this heart response of just loving the Lord and wanting to be around his people and wanting to be about fellowship and prayer. And, 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 this is, and as they were living this life, as they were responding to the grace of God in their lives, they were just going to the prayer service at three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, the Jews, they gathered together three times for prayer during the day. There were three one-hour prayer services. How inconvenient is that? They cleared their schedules and they devoted themselves to seeking the Lord, and I'm sure some of them weren't able to make the early one, so they went to the later one. But the prayer time would last an hour. The first 15 minutes, they would, they would be silent in meditation just before the Lord. The next 30 minutes, they would give, be giving their petitions and the requests to the Lord. And the last 15 minutes would be praise and adoration. And I think that uh, Josephus, the historian, was uh, illustrating that. But that's kind of how it worked. And God uses men and women who, who pray, who seek his face. God just does. And it's amazing. We see it in the life of Daniel. Remember Daniel, how many times did he pray every day? Three times in the day. What did they decree that he could not do? He could not pray. Did he do it anyways? Yes. What happened to him? He got thrown in the lion's den. God preserved him, and then what happened? The king's heart got changed accordingly. 
Prayer isn't always easy. He devoted himself to prayer. We see the life of Hannah. Remember Hannah, who, who, who sought the Lord with tears for a child whom God eventually gave her, and she gave him back to the service of the Lord. She devoted his life to him, said, this is yours. He's yours. And that would eventually become Samuel, the mighty prophet who would anoint kings. And God used mightily. We see Jesus, who is a man of prayer. Before he went in and uh, sought out the 12 who would follow him, he prayed all night, seeking God's will. He prayed all the time, often going off and deserting himself uh, to deserted places, seeking the Lord's face. Peter and John were men of prayer. God uses men and women who, are de- who devote themselves to prayer in the temple, in the home, in the car, on a walk, while they're doing laundry, whatever it is. Just people, who, people of prayer, amen? A life of prayer. And it was while they were on their way to worship, on their way to prayer, that they came to a guy who had been lame from birth, who was placed there at the gate called Beautiful, probably uh, by his family, uh, to beg. And I remember watching a documentary in Africa, and there was a bunch of other things involved in that documentary, but it was regarding uh, just how when people were born lame in that culture, they taught them to beg from a very young age to be able to bring in money uh, for their families. And it's a very hard life, a very hard life, because they can't contribute to their family in, in any other way. They had to carry their own weight. And so either they were able to beg or they were cut off from the family. And this happens a lot in the third world countries, and, and, and I would say even here. And this is how they would contribute to their family. So no doubt this man was born this way with these feet that were, were broken and, and, and maimed, and he uh, was taught to beg. And what better place to place a beggar than where? Right in front of the temple. A bunch of religious people are going to walk in there and go praise God, and he sits right there at the prime spot in front of the gate called Beautiful, maybe the Corinthian gate, uh, Josephus thinks. Uh, and verse, uh, verse 4 says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, hey, look at us. So what does that tell you about him? Where was his head? He was probably looking down. I think he's been used to a little bit of rejection over, over his lifetime, decades of panhandling. Didn't even make eye contact. While he's sitting there asking the worshipers coming by for money, and Peter looked right at him and said, hey, look at us. And so the man, they gave him, he gave them his attention, and expecting to get something from them, then Peter said, hey, silver or gold have I none, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And then taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Amen. You know what I find amazing about this story? I know the healing, but what I find amazing is that this man has been sitting there all this time. Every day for decades. Begging. Broken. You know, Jesus most likely passed by this guy when he was in Jerusalem. The apostles passed by this guy in Jerusalem. And yet he remained crippled. And then on this particular day, at this particular hour, 
all of a sudden, Peter and John, they see him. They see him. The Holy Spirit, that moment, he made this guy visible to them. Their spiritual eyes were opened. You know, there are times when I walk past people in need, and I walk past people in need, just oblivious to it. But the Lord has graciously uh, trained me and, and is training me to be sensitive to his voice, his leading, as I walk past people. And then all of a sudden, they just are there and it's like, hey, go over there. And I don't know what the situation is, but I know that I must respond to the Lord in his leading in my heart. And let me tell you what happens the moment I recognize that situation. Two things happen. One, I'm wrestling with God. And number two, I'm wrestling with my flesh, which is kind of the same thing a little bit, you know. Which God am I going to serve? And instantly I think of, oh, no, you know, don't need to do that. Anybody have that experience? Oh, why should I bother them? I would have, I would, I've got things to do. If you start having that conversation in your head, stop and say, Lord, what would you do? And if you find yourself starting to make excuses, that's not what the Lord would do. Move over towards that person. Step out in faith. Their eyes were open. Last week, John and I and Ruthie were uh, driving. We went to Safeway in, in the morning, and we were going to drop a book off at the library, and we, there were no parking spots, and so I was lazy and drove past and said, we'll get it on the way back out from Safeway. Parked in front of Safeway, went in Safeway, came back out, walked over to the library, and as I was walking into the library, I noticed an older couple, and there was a car there, and he was cussing in the door at his wife for about something, and I'm like, okay, kids, this way. You know, and we walk in the library, put the book, and as I walk in, and I'm halfway past on my way out, going back, and I just like, okay. And my excuse was, my kids, they're cussing, they're in a, you know, protection, and instantly, it's just, there was this argument in my heart. And you know what the Lord was doing? He's saying, those are the kind of people that need me. And I put you here for that reason. And I'm not talking about those are the kind of people, because I'm those kind of people sometimes. Anyone? Lord, please make me have that heart to see the way you see. And he awakened me graciously. And here I am with my kids, and I said, we got to go back. And I went over there and talked with them, tried to get it started and all that stuff. And there's a signed conversation with the wife. And it was a great opportunity. And she, you know what she said while she was sitting there? She said, you know what? Police have driven by and saw us and they didn't do anything. People have walked by for an hour now and did not see a thing. You're the only one who stopped. And my kids are sitting there listening to this whole thing. And I, mean, I don't want to share any more what, what went on, but God was gracious in that, in, that, in that situation, in their hour of need, and he used me to do it, not because of me, in spite of me. And what that was when we were talking and driving away, I said, who does that remind you of, what they said? No one came by and helped them. And John said, that reminds me of the Good Samaritan. Pastors walked by and said, oh gosh, don't want to deal with that situation. And all these situations were going on, and yet God's heart was beating for these people. 
And this is the heart of Christ, brothers and sisters. And when we are filled with his spirit and we're sensitive to the Lord in our hearts, we will see the world the way he sees it and we can't help but dying to self and saying, how can I serve you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I get out of my way? And like Peter and John, that's not gonna happen every time you pass someone. But when the Lord goes like that and you know, be obedient. And I want to also tell you that that is something that has to be developed in us. And sometimes you just don't know and you just have to step out. And that is how God teaches you to hear his voice and his leading in different areas of life. And obviously anything that happens needs to be put back onto the word, right? And so how many of you have, have know the Lord's asked you to do something and you haven't done it? Anyone? Okay, great. All of us. We're feeling, whew, it takes this. We have a lot to grow in, right? And so be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged. You know, the Lord's teaching you to hear his voice. He's teaching you to walk the way Jesus walked. And so they saw him. He said, hey, look at me. And this is what happens here and how it works in us with the Holy Spirit. They were made aware of this man. And the gifts of the Spirit now are being given and operating through Peter for the purpose of, that God wanted to accomplish at this particular time. This is how it's working. And Peter says, silver and gold, I, don't, I do not have, but what I do, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. What does it take for him to actually say those words? What does it take? Faith. What is the gift of faith? You look at the way things are, and circumstances are not going to pan out in the, in the natural world, but you know who God is and what he says and somehow it clicks inside of you that this is going to override whatever is going to, whatever the circumstances are. You know that God is going to work according to his word in this particular uh, uh, situation. Now, what people try to do is we try to say, we try to make God's hand forced every time that, that we want it to happen. That's not how it works. It's as the Lord leads, as the Lord gives, things, these things will happen. This particular moment this happened. He was given the gift of faith. He's able to say, hey, I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. I can't meet that need. But what the need that you really need, the Lord wants me to meet in today. And this is whose authority is given to me to do this. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I want you to stand up and walk. And then, faith is not just words. What else is it? Actions. And so what does he do? He reaches down and grabs the guy who's been sitting there for 40 years, or, you know, that's how old he is, so a long time, and he actually pulls him up to his feet. Faith is, yes, words, but actions, Romans 10.10. James, the book of James, we see that. And so we see here the gift of faith and the gift of healing happening, all working together in concert, and he reaches and grabs him, and and he pulls him up. Faith requires words of action. And so Peter says, be healed. And he reaches down, he grabs the guy and lifts him to his feet. And this is a beautiful way of how the Holy Spirit works in and through the life of a believer. And, I, and this, is an ex- this is an example of healing here, how that's worked. But as Peter and John were on their way to pray, God tapped them on the shoulder and said, hey, that guy. And they stepped out in faith. And God, as they stepped out, God gave them the ability to do what they could not do in themselves, and they're going to explain that. 
They saw the need, the spiritual need, and they, being empowered by the Spirit, they met it by God's grace. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong and he jumped to his feet and began to walk and then he went with them into the temple courts walking and jumping and praising God. What's this man's first action after receiving this merciful gift from God? What's his first reaction? Yeah, he's, he's praising God. He's worshiping God. He's going into the temple with them. And that's what happens with us. When God uses us in these circumstances, we grab them, we bring them along. Well, actually, they didn't have a choice. He was coming to church with them. He was, they were going to go worship. Their life was changed. And that man instantly became a witness of Jesus Christ. How beautiful. And what was the result of this man's witness in verse 9? It says, When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They were blown away. The people recognized who he had been and now who he was. Do you see that? Who he had been and who he was. This is the most powerful witness it is a powerful witness. I, I'm telling you, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. A slave trader wrote that. Praise God. Blinded. We were all blinded. We've all been crippled from birth. And God, by a great, His grace, has come into our lives and has changed us from the innermost being. And we, we rise, leaping, and praising God. Does it mean that life is not difficult? Life is full of pain and suffering, but we have this hope of eternity that this is not the end. You know, and this is one of the reasons also that the church dies. We forget. We lose the salt. We, we, we let the light be blocked out. We let the, the cares of the world come back in and choke us out. We, we forget that we were established in his word and his grace and we don't stay in it. We think that once being saved from it, we can go back to it and be sustained. No, the same way we came to the Lord by grace through faith is the same way we're sustained in the Lord by the mighty hand of God and we are to abide in the vine. And Jesus had to tell his church in Ephesus a decade or uh, probably 100 years from, from this point in Revelation or somewhere around there, he said, hey, I want you to repent. I want you to remember the first things, and I want you to return to your first love. Repent, remember, and return. How many of you are, have been delivered only to walk back into bondage? Remember, you know, repent, return to the Lord. What grace. 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them the place called Solomon's Colonnade. They're in the temple courts there. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? Peter and John, they are in a dangerous place. They are in a dangerous place. And I'm telling you, 
this is the temptation of every brother and sister when God begins to use you or uses you in a way in someone's life is to somehow draw that attention, to draw that glory, to draw that praise, that adoration, to make you a part of it, myself a part of it, to draw it to me. Oh, man, that was a great message. Yes, it was. I'll just receive a little bit of that. Oh, man, you spoke to my heart. You brought all the worship, and I've been there. And while the, the, uh, on their part, they're sincerely saying, thank you, on my part, I'm in danger of saying, you're welcome because of me. Anyone ever been there? In, when God starts using you in someone's life or things, things kind of happen, you just kind of just get a little bit of Matt praise in there. It's a dangerous place. Peter and John, they see the crowds, the excitement, the wonder in their eyes. And they, they can either help them to discern what they're seeing is actually God. Or they can point them towards themselves. And Peter rightly says, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? We'll talk about that. But why do you stare at us as if our own power or godliness, by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? It's not because of our own power. It's not something I have within me, as the world teaches. Just seek within yourself. There's this power in there. That's a dark cave that never ends, friends. Now, this came from outside of me. This grace, this power, the Holy Spirit, and he put it in me. It's God in me is what it is. And it's not because of my own godliness. Because I went to prayer 500 times a day. God uses those people. That, that is not the reason. He's not saying that personal holiness is bad. He's saying it's not the source. And, it's, and then he goes and says, you know what? Hey, you shouldn't be surprised at what's happening. He tells them why in the beginning in verse 13. It says, the God of Abraham, Isaac, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate. Though he had decided to let him go, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this. Now, all of, uh, all of these people are gathered together to worship God and interestingly, it was a God that they had rejected as a nation. A God that they re- had rejected as a nation. And brothers and sisters, it is possible to go to church at 9, 12, and 3 and to be totally and utterly lost. I would encourage you this morning to look at these people's lives and look at your own and ask yourself, why would Peter such, say such things to this church? Why would Peter say such things to this church? All these people who are gathered together to seek God and give to God and to worship God, and yet they were totally lost. Peter shares seven things concerning Jesus in this group. Seven things of Jesus and the nation of Israel speaking to this group. And they're here in verses 13 through 15, and I want to show you a pattern. I just read you to him, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, and he goes on down the list. He shows seven things to them. If you can go to the next slide. But it's interesting the way the Bible 
does things. This is, I think it's an acrostic. But if you take the first and in in the last, they're similar. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant. Well, how does that relate to the last thing that was said? God raised him from the dead. And not, Peter's not arranging this this way. He's speaking by the Holy Spirit. But this is how the word of God is laid out. Now the next thing. You handed him over to be killed. Well, you killed the author of life. Next thing. You disown him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. How did you disown him before Pilate? Well, you asked that a murderer be released to you instead of him. You disowned him. Now this is how the, the scriptures work, and it's centraling down on the center theme of what happened as a nation in their hearts. And this is the, the last one. It says, you disown the holy and righteous one. That's the core of what happened. You disowned him. You disowned him. And the next one says, and we are witnesses of this. That's all right. So these seven things. In the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. And you disowned him before Pilate as he, as, uh, when he was going to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one. And guess what? You asked for a murderer in his place. You asked for a murderer in his place. And brothers and sisters, listen up. This is what happens when we disown Jesus from our families, from our cities, our nation. We exchange innocence for murder. That is what we do. Abortion. I mean, just look at that one thing. We exchange life for death and we excuse it away. I mean, you could go on and on, but evil is exchanged for innocence. Evil is called good and good is called evil. We surround ourselves with darkness so light doesn't expose us. We surround ourselves as a nation with darkness so light no longer penetrates us. So we don't sense evil when we see it anymore. If you look at, uh, if you look at like the Hindenburg when it went down, remember the big giant blimp? Have you ever listened to that broadcast and how the broadcaster was just wailing and how people were just mortified at death? That's entertainment to us. We want to go pay money to go see that stuff. We are thoroughly calloused in our culture towards sin and evil, but by the grace of God. And so when we hear of, you know, 50 million, you know, babies being aborted since Roe v. Wade, it's like, pfft. we lose it, we've lost it, and yet we're accountable for it. Why? Because we've exchanged Jesus for a lie. We've exchanged the righteousness, the goodness, the holiness, the purity of Jesus Christ for what is not. We've exchanged the word of life for death. And that's what that is in the Garden of Eden. That is what is going on in our nation. We choose the knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life. And that has happened to each one of us. You've disowned him and you've asked for a murder in his place. And by the way, the murder they asked for was Barabbas. Remember Barabbas? You know what Abba means? Father, Bar means son of. means son of another father. Son of another father. Jesus was the son of the father, but they chose the son of another father. 
And then I, I was just thinking about this, and what does it say in John 8, 44? Jesus speaking to the Pharisees said, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. The son of another father, you chose the murderer. His father is Satan. You chose him, and that is what we've chosen. We always look at, you know, the next thing down, and that's Satan's way of, of separating himself from us. We don't see him. We just see some little twist, and we accept it. They exchange the son of the father for another son of another father. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And Peter reiterates, we're all witnesses of this. We saw it. We're here. We were there. And Peter gives them the bad news. That's the bad news. And he tells them uh, that this is how this man is healed in, in verse 16. He says, By this Jesus whom you've crucified and betrayed and disowned, in his name this man is healed. This Jesus who's raised from the dead, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, now this guy is healed because of him. He's been made strong. It's in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as all you can see. It's not us. It's Jesus. He's alive. He's on the throne. And Brothers and sisters, when God uses people in, in, uses us in people's lives, church, to heal, to mend broken hearts, and to point uh, the way to Jesus, and to provide for them material and, materially and spiritually, when God starts to move, we must give all glory to God. Don't touch the glory. Don't be a Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, who decided to go out and swing their censers in the temple, and God smoked them. We don't want to be those people. We want to give glory and honor. We want to reflect back to the Lord. Oh, isn't he good? Praise the Lord. Help them to discern that this is from God. That's what we do. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works, I mean, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. And so Peter tells them the bad news first. You disown the holy and righteous one for a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. You're all guilty. Let's, uh, let's pray and go home, right? <laughs> no, that's not it. And again, this is how we're to preach the gospel, friends. This is how we preach the gospel. Bad news first, the conviction. And then the good news. Because otherwise, what are they being saved from? What are we being saved from? Eternity separated from a holy and righteous God. We all stand guilty, and that's why we preach that. Now, verse 17, the hope, the good news. Fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled uh, what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. And we see here the sovereign plan of God working through men, or in our, even through our sinful actions. It was God's purpose that Jesus would suffer, as we see in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. You can go read that stuff. So Peter explained what has happened. And now in verses 19 through 26, he's going to give them the application. What are they to do with the situation? They find themselves guilty before God. What do they do? Verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, blotted out, removed, erased, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. And so, brothers and sisters, we preach repentance from dead works so that we may have newness of life in Christ. That is what we preach. 
And this is what the Lord gives us when sinful men turn away from their sin. Times of refreshing. Times of refreshing. Peace with God. A restored soul. How many of you lack peace? How many of you have sin running around in your lives and things that, are, that God would say, hey, turn from that darkness? Those things coincide, by the way. So we just need to go hang out with Jesus, the author of peace. Go spend time with the king. Repent. Turn to him. And in order to experience the peace of God, we see through scriptures, we first must experience the grace of God, the pardon for sin. In order to experience the peace of God, we must experience the grace of God, that pardon for sin. We receive this pardon through faith, faith in the gospel. The pardon comes when a person agrees with the gospel, with what it says, that we're sinners, we're broken people, unable to heal ourselves or to make ourselves right with God by any means of our own. And so we agree with God, what God says about our state. We're totally guilty before him. And then this should point us to the need for a Savior. God, help me. And this is where God loves to just swoop down. He loves to flood us and change our hearts. And so our faith is placed upon Jesus Christ, that Jesus paid the price for all our sins by dying on the cross. And through him, we have the forgiveness of sins. And God not only forgives us through faith in Christ, but he makes us a new creation, right? We become new creatures, no longer children of wrath, but children of God, and are given the Spirit of God who leads us in the truth. And so Peter says, repent that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus, so that you may have the Lord. Verse 21, I want to finish up here. Heaven must first receive him until time comes from God to restore everything as he promised long ago through by his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you, this is Moses speaking, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. And you must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. How many of you like black and white, right or wrong, truth, false, speaking? Everything in this world is like, eh, maybe. If it's truth to me, it's truth to me. No, there are absolutes in this world. And I would ask you, if you don't believe there are, are you sure about that? And ask you again, are you sure about that? And so Jesus is at the right hand of the Father until the time of restitution is the word. Until Jesus makes all things right. And whoever rejects the Messiah will be cut off. And the idea is that's utterly destroyed. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned or judged, but whoever does not believe him stands condemned. That means judged already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. There's only two camps, light and darkness. Eternal life, eternal destruction. Those two things. So Peter's straight out about the message of the gospel. Receive pardon through faith in Christ and receive times of refreshing and peace of God. Receive that from God or ignore him and be utterly destroyed. That's his message before these people. Is that the gospel we preach? <clears throat> and obviously there's, there's ways to package that. You know, I'm not talking... But I mean, the heart of the gospel, that is what we preach. Christ and him crucified. The way, the truth, the life. Not about behavior modification. It's about repentance. The heart. 
In verse 24, Indeed, beginning with Samuel and all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenants I'm sorry, the covenant God made with your fathers. And he said, to, as, I'm sorry, he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you, all you all, the nation of Israel, to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. If you followed us through Genesis, he talks about this through the prophets, through Abraham, from their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, that through his offspring through his seed all the nations would be bre- would be blessed seed singular his seed jesus christ through him all the nations would be blessed how are all the nations be blessed first it came to israel they rejected him and as paul talks about in romans now that has been spread to the gentiles we have forgiveness of sins through jesus christ that is how all nations are to be blessed amen it's ours we can receive the greatest blessing and as the message we preach, the forgiveness of sin and fellowship with God. And as Romans 5.1 declares, therefore, since we have all been justified, that means justified, never been, I've never sinned, we've been, we've been made clean. Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We stand in grace. That is where you stand this morning if you have called upon Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so through this one man suffering here, sitting at the gate, sitting at the gate beautiful, for 40 years, now God has healed this man, and in doing so, Peter now has the opportunity to preach the gospel to a whole big group that wouldn't have been open to it had this not, situation not come about. And this is the tie between all these healings in the New Testament and all these things going on was not just for the sake of the healing. It was so that the word of God would go forward. It's always about the gospel. It's about what that represents, the kingdom. And you will see this theme throughout. So quite often we're praying for healing, and I understand that, and I want that myself. But why? Why? Lord, use my pain and my suffering or whatever you might do to further your gospel is my prayer. And if I should be hurting more and be in more pain, that it might create a greater opportunity for me to minister to people, then so be it. If your son died at 33, who is in total agony and pain and alone, and we can read all about that in, in Isaiah 53 and see it in his life in Psalm 22, then Lord, if I'm to walk as Jesus walked, I bet you there's going to be pain in there. Use it for your glory. Redeem it. Redeem it. And let it not be because of my stupidity, which is a large part about it in there. But this is what it's all about. And we're going to see next Sunday how the religious leaders and how the people responded to the gospel. But how about you? How about you, each of you this morning? Religious people gathered here faithfully year after year. How about you this morning? All your life in church, maybe, but you've never repented. Never put your faith in Christ to save you from yourself, depending on your good works. And I have to preach it because there it is. 
like those religious people, you might stand condemned. And I don't say this to shake your faith. I say this to affirm your faith or to reveal it. Friends, there's pardon for sinners. Religious ones especially. (laughs) And I have to constantly ask myself, Lord, am I walking in your ways? Am I... Am I truly who I am? Because when I read 1 John, I see two paths. And we know it by the fruit. We know it by the fruit. And we can fool people by getting up and doing a Bible study or by going to church and do all that stuff. God will look past all that stuff and look at our hearts on that day. So if you're someone who's been religious you're in good company because God's grace has come to you this morning and his love and his forgiveness. And so I want to pray. Anyone who has not received the Lord, I want you to say, I need it. Let's bow our heads. If that's you, go ahead and pop your hand up and down. I'm not going to make you come up here and jump in front of everybody. If you are that person who says, you know, I've been just totally religious on the outside, but my heart is dead, and I need healing, Lord. Raise your hand. God bless you. This is between you and the Lord, not you and me and the Lord. This is you raising your hand to God as just as a sign that says, Lord, I need help. God bless you. He sees your hearts. Let the pride go. Let the pride go. Anyone else? We're just going to pray together. God bless you. Anyone else? And know that you can come up to us and pray with us after service or whatever it is. That the Lord might bless you and just point you to him. Father, for these who have raised their hands this morning and those who haven't, Lord, would you please just remind them of your word and your truth. That you died for sinners. Would you, by your grace, cause their hearts to repent and to turn from their evil and go towards you, the light? Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit? Would you encourage them today that they are no longer walking that way and that they are now sons and daughters of the King of Kings? And Lord, for those of us who are religious and have that outward fig leaf and the smile and all the things that go on. You see right through us. And oh, how we need you. We need you every day, Lord. Would you come and cleanse our hearts? Would you come and reveal our sin and take it away, Lord, and establish us in grace? We love you so much. We ask that you would continue to work in the hearts of your church. Bless us as we go out. We pray that we have eyes to see the world around us now. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.